Welcome to episode number 34 of the National Land Realty Podcast, where we discuss all things land. Our goal here is to inform, educate, and entertain those of you who own land or are interested in the buying and selling of land throughout the United States. My name is Mac Christian, and I am the Chief Marketing Officer here at National Land Realty. I'll be your host for this episode. In this episode, I'm talking with land professional Corey Bowes from Raleigh, North Carolina. Corey is an expert in commercial development and land sales with over 15 years of experience. He's here today to talk about an issue that many landowners face and an option that many are not aware of, which is the option of rezoning their land. We all know the land holds value, but rezoning land presents a possibility of greatly increasing the value of that land. Corey provides a masterclass on what the process looks like and how you can benefit from exploring the zoning of your land. Now sit back and enjoy. I am sitting here with Corey Bowes out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Corey has been in real estate for 15 years and is a part of our commercial team. And Corey, just before we kind of dive into the conversation here, you know, how did you end up with National Land Realty? How did you end up with, let's say, land realty in general, as opposed to anything else you could have done in life? Yeah, no, it's an interesting story. Um, Coming out of college, my dad, uh, who was a serial entrepreneur, uh, got his real estate license and went full time about the time I was coming out of high school. Um, his firm started to do really well in our hometown of, of Roxboro, North Carolina. And uh, about the time I graduated, he said, son, I think it's time to get your license and come home and we'll start a family business together. Um, and so that's what I did. And so uh, I had uh, stayed in real estate Um through my early 20s up into the recession. And then as things started to change, uh, I, I started to wear different hats because you had to be pretty creative during the recession time. So I actually went to go work for a large bank here in Raleigh, um, doing some mortgage and finance options as well. And um, and then the bank folded uh, and ended up going into law enforcement for a few years. I actually uh, started working in state law enforcement here for some time. But during that um, time, as I transitioned away from my real estate career shortly, I had always kept an eye on um, my real estate passion. And uh, and and I was watching the Raleigh-Durham area grow. So initially, back in the early 2000s, it was the capital city, but uh, it had not yet seen the success that we experienced today. And I was always watching the um, the trajectory of development always push out and push out and push out further and further and further past the suburbs. Uh, and then I found National Land in 2017, and uh, found out that they are strictly land brokerage and it was where I could hone my passion um, to try to just do land deals and more specifically in in the development space. So I kind of came back into the the fold of real estate full-time, joined to a national land. We've had some incredible success um, and we have been putting together projects all around Raleigh and Durham ever since. Yeah, I I, I always think that that's funny when I talk to somebody that's sort of like, you know, Anybody that had a, a newer career or a newer, you know, introduction to professional life during the financial crisis in 06, 08, all of our careers went haywire. I mean, like <laughs> I went into marketing and advertising straight out of college and it was like I got whacked upside the head as soon as I hit the market. And I mean, I ended up doing finance for a few years just because, yeah. you know, your job's never stable. Like you better find something. 
Well, and that's the thing. So, you know, I was in I was in real estate and then I got into mortgage for a little bit and that fell and then banking and it fell. And I'm like, what am I going to do this stable? I'm like, I'm 20 years old. I'm trying to make it out here in the real world, trying to become our own person. Like, where can I go get a steady paycheck? And it was with the government. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. that definitely <laughs> that that ran its course. I numerous friends of mine did the same thing. And I, I like I said, I my career went haywire and, and you know, waiting for companies to close. To, yeah, it was just a thing. We all had to be really kind of uh, we had to be innovative at the time. Right. That's exactly right. It also dates us a little bit. I'm starting to feel gray <laughs> hair on my chin and everything. Um, so anyways, it's the, the conversation here that we've talked about having today is it's based on a, on a land owner, right? And this is sort of, um, this is really useful for me because I get to put my in myself into the shoes of ignorance because the commercial space is not as something that I have as a strength in my background. And this is sort of understanding of where a landowner has land that maybe they're not maintaining, maybe they've inherited it. Maybe, maybe it's just fallen into disrepair, um, but it's, it's a piece of land that has potential for commercial use or, or a different zoning type of use. And a lot of people talk about it, maybe think about it, but have no idea where to start. And that's kind of the conversation that we've talked about having, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it can be a um, an overly complicated process. There is a lot that's involved, but uh, we've done it enough now to help simplify that conversation piece um, and, you know, help you as the landowner identify what the highest and best use for your property in today's market is because that does change with time. Right. And that's, and that's one thing to sort of, I guess it's a disclaimer to put on the conversation is that, you know, and I'll ask it from a point of ignorance, right. Can any property be rezoned? Um, To a certain extent, you can, you as a landowner and or a developer or a builder, can always go in and request a rezoning. It doesn't mean it's always going to be, you know, approved, but you can request it. Right. Um, so, so not everyone can be, anyone can request it, but not everybody will be approved. So there is, there is that. There's, there's a lot of homework that should and needs to go into that particular question before you actually go and knock on the door of a planning department and ask for that. And then I want to rewind real quick because I, I realize we could be getting ahead of ourselves. And I want to make sure if anybody's listening and doesn't know what we're talking about, describe to me zoning. Yeah. Well, you know, let's let's just kind of take this. If you are the property owner, right? Yes. And and you're sitting just on the outskirts of city limits. Over time, Cities are going to expand their city limits to kind of pull in that tax base. They want to be able to offer more public services to pull in that tax base. And that city limit line continues to move further and further out. And then as it starts to approach approach your property, more times than not, your property now is going to be eyed in the view of builders and developers as having a better intended use than what your current zoning is. And so if you're if you're on a farm and you're considered or a, what used to be a farm and your current zoning is agricultural residential. Well, 
as those towns grow, they have what is called a future land use plan. Now, this is where a, a very ambitious town is saying, hey, we see growth in our near future over the next five, 10 years. Here's the areas of the county that we're going to consider as residential, as commercial, as industrial. And you as a landowner may not have the full understanding of what the town has envisioned for your property, but they do. And the ones who are in the development field, they're keeping an eye on that because that is how they come in and find new locations to build their products. So this is where, you know, it's not necessarily part of the plan up front, but it's, I guess when you're talking about when it's with it, when it's in the community's plans, you know, is, is this, have they usually targeted properties like this and they, like they know where they're going to zone into, or I, I just don't know. Yeah. So, um, we kind of look back historically here on, I'm going to say Southern Wake County. That's where I am right now. And out in Southern Wake County, we've got Holly Springs, Fuquay, and Apex. And 15, 20 years ago, these were very sleepy areas just outside of Raleigh. But as that growth continued to move into the Raleigh-Durham area, housing businesses and job opportunities became more and more and more. And so those small municipalities started growing over time. And then as they grow, it is part of their job, the planning job, to see here, like, how do we plan responsibly for the future? And they're always looking out five, 10 years ahead of time. And as they're doing that, that's how they have what's called a future land use plan. And it's it's an idea. It's a concept. But when they when they buy into that concept as a town or as a municipality, they're hoping that they can fulfill that concept plan because it does help them to plan for schools. It helps them plan for emergency services. It helps them plan for traffic. All these things that how towns and cities get to the scale and size they get to is, is for future planning. And so you as that 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 farmer sitting on the outskirts of town might not yet know what that plan is, but that's where the rezoning and the entitlements process comes in to bring it up to a higher and better use than what it is today. Is there so and what we're talking about, too, is, you know, we're, we're talking about changing the zone. You know, somebody has you, you brought up a farmer, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know. It would be changing the zoning from agricultural to you know single family you know household that kind of thing to developing for multiple households for for you know zoning for a neighborhood or even apartments or commercial in in the case of what what you've worked with a lot in, in your past and you might not know it so I guess the question is is there a possibility that you could you know you gotta get rid of the family farm you're getting up there in years and your kids all moved out none of them want to take up the family business is it the possibility that you could sell without knowing the possibility of zoning up first to to possibly gain more from the sale yes yeah and and unfortunately that happens a lot okay um, because there are people there, looking there's developers out there waiting for that person and like there is like family farm there is and and there there are um landowners out here who haven't yet looked at what that future land use holds for their property and um so yes we have seen you know land uh change hands 
and they did it at market rate as a farm, right? But if they would have done a little research or brought in somebody who specializes in this field, then they would have understood that they sold at 25,000 acre. But if it was entitled, it may be worth 85,000 acre. That's a huge difference in value. That's a huge difference in value. How, so you brought up that they're not aware of what the plan is for that area. How would one, obviously you could pay attention to, you know, what's gone through what, like city council or, you know, the, you know, city planning, but yep. if you haven't been watching that, how would one even know about that process? Well, um, first and foremost, it's just being aware. So if you are driving down the road and, and you notice subdivision are coming in, if you're noticing survey flags showing up, if you're noticing grading companies are active in the area, development is coming your way. Those are the indicators initially that things are pushing out further and further and further. Um, what's really convenient is that most GISs have a little toggle switch over on the right-hand side, typically, of a future land use. And if you hover over or bring up your property on GIS and you kind of hit future land use or you hit your zoning, you can then start to get a good idea as to what is projected for your property in the future. Gotcha. I was going to say also there's talking to somebody like you, right, is, is you know, get somebody that can get into it. But but you're not necessarily going to 100 percent know as you go into it. Right. You'll have to do an investigation on that as well. Yeah. You know, and, and that's that is that's the complicated part you know, understanding what your property might be able to yield is the easy portion of it. Understanding through the lens of um, whether property is suitable, is truly suitable, is much more complicated. And so that's where the initial investigation periods come in, which are critical to any um, elevation of a property, especially before you move into the entitlements portion. I got you. So what what does that look like? So so if I'm property owner A over here and you're kind of walking me through the process where you start in and you start, you know, I'm curious about I'm thinking about selling. I'm looking at, you know, within the year kind of thing, but I don't want to undercut myself it, for the exact same reasons that, that we just talked about, where if I sold my land as family farm and it's worth like 25,000 acre but i have the possibility to rezone the commercial and get like 80,000 80, you know i'm going to say 80,000 acre but sure. that's a that's a real possibility for a lot of landowners right yes it absolutely is yeah you know this is where i get excited about sitting in front of a landowner and and talking about these processes because there's a lot of q and a that goes back and forth here um but let's let's boil this thing down if really what it looks like First and foremost, when you have a developer builder come in and they are eyeing in on your site, there has to be an investigation period done on that property. It's a mandatory thing. Nobody's just going to come in and, and give you a check for that 85K an acre. So what they're doing is they are doing geotech. So they're boring for rock to see if there's any rock because they do have to lay water and sewer lines under that ground. They have to go under a certain depth. So they got to see if rock's there you're doing wetlands delineation. And so when you start putting rooftops in and it starts covering the ground mass, right? There's a lot of runoff that happens there. And if 
you've got multiple streams that could back up to your property. And here in the in the southeast, that's a we have a lot of streams and rivers that you want to protect. So there's a delineation process. There's a wetland wetland stream um, identification process. You may have to cross a stream or a creek to be able to access majority of your property. There's a lot of engineering that goes into that. And so there's typically anywhere between 90 and 120 days where a buyer will come in and have all these different engineering processes happen simultaneously because it takes that to ensure that your property is now truly suitable to, to hold either an apartment complex, multiple housing, or an industrial site. But you've got to do your homework up front, and that's what the entitlements or the uh, investigation period is. So as far as conducting an investigation, is that somebody pulling in a team like yours, or are you pulling in a possible investor to do the investigation as to where like they might purchase it? What's how, Who's doing that part of the deal? It's a bit of a a la carte situation. And so um, sometimes if if a landowner comes to us and they're asking, hey, you know, we're, we're thinking about selling, you know, what what is your opinion about our property? We may be able to tell them they can do a certain level of this investigation period on their own to entice buyers to come to them. Right. And or we can bring a buyer and that buyer will do all the work during that investigation period. So typically you do go under contract and while under contract, you're in a contract for 90 to 120 days. And that's the investigation period to ensure that your property is suitable. And that nearly has to happen on all major development projects. So it is the possibility, like going back to the farm scenario where, you know, I'm looking at maybe I can get more money out of my land because I've noticed some urban sprawl headed my direction. And so I I bring in somebody to, you know, like yourself who finds a possible developer to to look at this land and they put you under contract. You could go under the full 90 to 100 days and they find, you know, like this ground is too soft. You can't put anything like heavy yeah. structures on it or there's too much rock here and the deal falls through. And then then you're back at square one where you're selling a farm. Right. That's exactly right. Okay. But, you know, the, and here's the benefit of, of working with a land broker like our company is that we can pivot if we have to pivot. If we find out that, you know, your property is not going to be suitable for that higher and better commercial use. Well, now, hopefully, if we if we. We structure the contract correctly. We've got all those studies that were done by the developer at their expense, but that's a lot of information that's extremely powerful to the landowner. And so if we negotiate that up front, now we can take that and repackage it up. Should it fall apart or do we just pivot just a little bit, find another developer with another end use that they can actually come in and use it themselves? So You've got to every property is is uniquely different. It brings its own set of challenges and opportunities. And you just have to focus in on that because there is no one template that works for every single property. Yeah. And I, and I think it's really good to have that expectation up front. And then just thinking from a landowner's perspective, like what, what you don't want to end up as a landowner going into something like, here's the deal. I'm selling to a developer. It's going to be a strip mall. It's going to make me all kinds of money. And this is yeah. happening. It's like, no, right. that doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean anything. You're not moving forward until the investigation is done. You might get halfway done and find out your land won't support it. Yeah. And you have to be, you have to be emotionally and mentally flexible enough before you go into the process 
to know things might not happen the way you expect or want. Well, and I'll tell you, one of the the more difficult subjects to have is that you get caught in and you're sitting in somebody's living room and they go, you know, the farm down the road, they sold at so much price per acre and there's houses sitting out there. I know they can do the same for mine. And unfortunately, I have to go, it might not be the case. And you don't know that either until all of this work is done. And it has to be done for you to find that out. And so over time, they will learn that these processes are necessary to be able to, you know, do that investigative work to see if it's supportive. It's kind of like the it's the, the pet unicorn scenario. Everybody. Yeah. Wants like a <laughs> That's pet. exactly Absolutely. right. If I had one in my backyard, I'd be very excited. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> but not everybody gets one. Um but so, so yeah, that's, it, it's very useful to think about it in, in that perspective. Like anybody can zone, anybody can do these things. Anybody can call in a consultant. Not everybody's land is suitable, but it's good to know. And you should know before you look at selling and it's good to work with somebody kind of in your shoe that can steer it. it let's, let's say everything goes perfect. You can steer that things need to pivot. You can steer that maybe, maybe nothing works and nothing can be rezoned and you have to sell a farm and also that, right? Like that's that's sort of what a land group does. That's right. Um, so what comes next? So you go through the feasibility study, basically. Mm-hmm. Is, that is, do I have the, the terminology right? It's a you do, yeah. Okay. So, yep. And, and you, you can call it a feasibility study or an inspection period. It can okay. go either way. Same thing? Same thing. Okay, so so once the land is discovered, let's, let's talk about this from the optimal situation, right? Where um, you've gone through, you've done your investigation, and voila, there's no bedrock. There's no, you know, protected streams there. This land is great. It fits within the spa- the sprawl pattern of the urban area near. And what what goes next? How does this how does this turn into a deal? Yeah. So next is is phase two, and, and phase two is considered entitlement. So what entitlements is? It's it's a you're asking permission from the municipality, either the local town or the county that you would like to change the zoning classification on your property and or you may need annexation as well. So if you're not yet in the city limits and if you need water and sewer for your particular um, product type, the only way that you get water and sewer is by coming into the town because they're not going to give you their their water and sewer allocations without being in the town and you get the tax they get the tax basis for doing that right it's how they fund their their public works and so um if you're that 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 farm owner just on the outside the developer is going to come in and they're going to submit a rezoning and um uh annexation application with that town. And that is a really, really lengthy process depending on where you are. So um, what that looks like is taking all of that initial due diligence we did in phase one, and they compile all that information and they send it over there to the planning department. And they're making sure that they're the design and the engineering is conducive to all the development standards set forth by the planning department. And so it goes through this um, sometimes very bureaucratic red tape process to make, and it's engineer talking to engineer from the city side to the private side 
And they're going back and forth saying, you know what, this is how we make this, this product happen. And so the, the town council or the, the county commissioners have to vote on allowing these rezoning or annexations to occur. So it's time. Um, it's, it's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of uh, pre-development meetings and public meetings that have to occur just to go through those processes. Is this something that can fall into, I, I, I would like to group it into the area of people problems where it's, oh, yeah. okay, th- this is, it's, you're mentioning bureaucracy and you're mentioning commissioners and I'm hearing like nightmare scenarios of people problems where it's like, yeah. You've got one commissioner in there. It's like, you know what? I don't want to store there. Yeah. I don't think we should. And so it's it's not necessarily that it's been zoned for. And it can be zoned for anything, but it's like, well, you know. Well, and then on top of that, that, you've got the neighbors, right? So there may be a group of neighbors across the street and they go, uh-uh, I don't want to live next to a strip mall and have lights, you know, in my windows 24 hours a day. And so they'll come out in um, opposition against the plan, Right. Um, and so, yes, but there is a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of emotions and, but there's a lot of time necessary to kind of go through, you know, those, those entitlements. But here's, here's the thing. If you did your homework, I'm I'm looking for the optimism here. You're saying, yeah, yeah, sure. It's complicated, but to make up for that, it takes a really long time. (laughs) Well, but if you do your homework up front, right. If, if you, if you, if you're working, with someone who does this on a day-to-day basis. We've done our homework up front to know that we are conforming to that future land use plan. We, the town has already said, this is what they want to see here. As long as we are staying within that parameter and we're staying within their development guidelines and standards, there's not a lot that they're going to kick back because you've done your homework up front it's those plans that nobody did their homework and they're putting something, you know, out there that the town has no interest in seeing at that particular location. That's when you start facing a lot of headwinds. I was going to say that's that's a scenario where, you know, your cranky neighbor that doesn't want to see lights from a parking lot isn't going to kill the deal because the city plans on moving commercial. That's areas. Exactly right. probably going to say, like, well, we're sorry. This is the plan. And, I, I think back to I live I live in Boise, Idaho, and, and it's grown immensely in the last, you know, what, five years. And you have these little pockets where there's like there's original farmyards in the middle of the city. They're like there's still cows running around. You got buildings all around it and there's signs in their front yard like don't upzone this area. And it's like, the, you know, you you've held on to your land, but like that land is going to be rezoned. It's yeah. pretty obvious at this point. They have full right to do that. But right. it's just you cannot stop progress like that. If a population density is increasing, you can't just like put up a gate and keep them out. But you know, at the, at the other, at the other side of this coin is that if you're that, that landowner, you're a third generation, you know, your initial grandparents never knew how much value it would be in the location of that particular property. Right. So it is, it's, it's, it's really a family investment because throughout this process, the developable land brings the higher and better dollar value, right? So you need to look at it from an investment standpoint. Although, yes, it's it's not going to be this 90-day close like you would if you would just hand over the keys to a farm. But at the end of it, 
you've really come out doing really, really well just because location, location, location. Yeah, that's the, that is the, the, it's the two-sided piece of that that, that you find with especially family-owned land. And, and, I, and I look at those cases in, in the urban area that I'm talking about where it, it has it's been handed down through generations. And, you know, everybody historically, I think everybody roots for the underdog and everybody roots for the person that like has their feet in the ground. Like, I am not selling. Right. And we all root for that person. Like, that's yeah. it's, it's always a good story. But at the same time, if you look at the overall there there is an investment value there that can be capitalized on and the worst case scenario is you know where you end up with with you know getting acquired by the state or something like that and you, and you get told you're selling because they need yeah. to, you know widen a road or something like that or put a utility line through there that's what you don't want you want to be in the private space you want to be involved in the negotiation especially advantage of it it's it's very hard because people are very attached to land rightfully so yeah. And there, there, there is a, a um, an emotional standpoint there. And then oftentimes, though, if you're working with um, a developer who who will work with you, sometimes you can memorialize your family at that land. I mean, I know that there's a lot of subdivisions over here that we've helped put in the ground and they're named after some of oh, the family members, you know, who had worked that property so many years ago. Right. And so, you know, there's a there's a lot of ways to look at this. Um, but as a as an end result, I mean, if if you know somebody is is if you think that your property's got a higher and better use, it's it's good to to pull in people who can help you uncover what that looks like and walk you through those processes and look at it from all different angles because you know it's a it's a complicated thing. It can. I, I mean, because like you think about it, too, you think about this, the the families that they've had a property for three generations. It's like, you know, my great granddad built this this farm here. I don't want to think about a strip mall being here. Then like the the unsympathetic side of you wants to be like, well, your great granddad would probably be pretty upset if you passed up the opportunity to be rich and buy. A farm. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> But that's up for you to decide at the same time. But like I said, that's a very unsympathetic way to look at it. But because people, you know, there is there's blood, sweat and tears in that land. And that's something it's really what a landowner has to decide when they're going into this, like if they want to do that. But once they sell it, if they don't zone it, if they don't rezone it, somebody else will. And that's exactly right. That's one of those things. It's that that due diligence that you need to do to make sure that you whoever, whatever the next buyer is, they're going to do whatever they want with the land and you have to let go of that. Yeah. Yeah. This is so true. And, and um, you know, in our area, especially it's harder for that smaller farm owner to make any real capital on their land. You know, if they're leasing it right now and they're just getting Bermuda off of it, or if they've got some soybeans, you know, leased out there, you're barely paying the taxes right now. Right. So what is the higher and better use? Do you keep it operating as it is? Because eventually the tax rate will supersede what your income currently is right now. So your carrying costs have just diminished. Um, but if you go for what today's use is, and typically it is housing, then you can really bring some value to your family. So now that you know we've we talked about it from the perspective of all right you go through you do your due diligence you find out if it's possible now you put it in front of the city and now the now the now the real circus starts right where yeah, you bring the, exactly you right. the commissioners in there you have them like 
everyone's got an opinion. There is a plan. There is a rough look guideline for a plan. This is what we plan for the city to do in five years. So if something is zoned commercial, your neighbor can't probably train wreck it because it's progress and they don't want progress or they don't want right. change. But how how long is that back and forth? And what's that look like for the landowner? Does the landowner have to be involved in the conversation? Like if I'm selling my land and I want to I want to zone it before I sell it, do I need to go and testify in front of the court and have my neighbors yell at me? Yeah, no. The answer is no. So um, the landowner will most likely have to sign on that they are allowing the developer to rezone and annex their property, but it's a one-page application form, right? They may have to um, give a historical reference of what's happened on that farm over time, um, but are you going to have to actually go into all the city planning meetings? Do you have to do the the neighborhood community meetings? No. The developer does all that and the developer themselves or their engineer or third parties is the face of that process. Right. Most of the time, it's an engineering firm or a land use attorney who's doing all that for them as well. Um, And so nine times out of 10, Mac, when a project gets approved and closed, the landowner has had zero involvement or connectivity with the surrounding landowners other than maybe letting their neighbors know, hey, I've got my land for sale. I'm under contract. This is what's going to happen. That's a courtesy call. But otherwise, it's on cruise control at that point in time. And um, you you had mentioned the time, you know, it could be 90 to 180 days to that entitlement period. It could be longer. It could be shorter. It really depends on how backed up the planning department is where you live at, right? Um, I've seen it as long as two years. I've seen it as short as four months um, and everything in between. So it just really de- depends where that project is. I think the the thing that your listeners really need to understand is that having an advocate follow those processes and to be able to explain where this thing is in that process is extremely, extremely valuable. So that open line of communication is something that in our office, we make sure we are notifying the landowners, hey, we're coming up to site plan approval or we're coming up to our construction drawing approval. And this is kind of where we are in the process. And this is the comments that we're receiving back from the council members. just keeping everybody in the loop informed of how and where the processes and our delays because delays do occur um, where we are. And uh, so that open line of communication is extremely important. So that's one part you, you just brought that up as far as like construction plan approval and stuff like that. That all goes into place before the transaction of land actually takes place. Is that correct? Maybe so, and maybe no. <laughs> so if it's it, it really land, it can go without, but if it's yeah, yeah, you know, if it's that's right, exactly right. If you're in a prime spot, um, you may find that a developer is willing to close that transaction as soon as he gets a site plan approval, right? And so typically, there's another four months or so tacked on top of to get to your construction drawings approval, so that they get their land disturbance permit there afterwards. So, yes, you might have a closing early on in this market where we are today. Most developers are going to be seeking um, construction drawing approvals because they want to hedge their risk that that one council member isn't going to come back and try to, you know, pull the red card. Um, And so, 
you've got to understand um, the 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 temperature of your planning department and your city council members or your county commissioners. So is this something that should go up front in sort of the the negotiating process at the table before you even even think about moving into this is you probably want to shop to different developers. You don't want to just go to one just in case one of them comes in and says, here's the deal. Like, I want to buy this land, but I want to approve, you know, the construction first. I want to like, you know, have everything basically done on paper and then we buy the land and then we put it up. At the same time, there's a developer waiting there, maybe willing to pay a little less, but they'll just go site, you know, buy the site before all this stuff takes place, just knowing they can rezone. Like, yeah, that, that's exactly right. Okay. And, and, and where I think we act as a great advocate for the landowner as as a as a person on their team is that we have the experience to look at these contracts and listen to the developers in their pitch and find out like, ah, we don't want to go that far with you in a contract. You need to shorten this thing up or you need to incentivize it by releasing the deposit schedule throughout the portion of this thing because we want to make sure you've got some skin in the game to get you to the finish line to close on it, right? And so that's why it's it's having that experience over time, especially in your individual marketplaces, that having, you know, somebody on your team as a landowner is extremely, extremely valuable for them because you can structure deals a thousand different ways. And there's a lot of different developers who have different models as to how they buy and purchase and develop land. And you just got to work within those models. I was going to say, too, it, not many landowners have a Rolodex of developers that they know to like work with and and working with with it's, it's, I want to say, especially somebody who is in your position, somebody who works with commercial development, somebody who deals with the buying and selling of land, because if you go straight to a developer, you're only talking to one. There's, That's right. Unless you make a bunch of phone calls to a bunch of developers, which you can do, but you don't know what's good and bad when they come to the table with you. Like it's hard to know whether you're getting a good deal or a bad deal. And you know, I think I think all of us have at least like one Uncle Bob that calls themselves a developer, but they're just like right. flipping houses, right? Like you don't want to yeah. go to that person. Like you want to <laughs> you want to talk to a, a team of people or somebody who kind of is on the up and up and. I'm not really trying to like throw Uncle Bob under the bus, but I think we all know one. Um, but but somebody like yourself that that really has an understanding of the area and who to talk to, who not to talk to, who's going to work with the best deal, and then what a good deal looks like. You know, it's that that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. It, it it when it comes to commercial transactions, it's time and grade. It's a lot about network. Um, you need to have the experience of seeing both good deals and bad deals in the past to knowing like to be able to advise somebody yeah. as to what to stay away from. So what does it look like? All right. So we've, we've walked through, you know, the due diligence, we've walked through sort of the process of when this goes to the city and this goes to the commissioners and what does the actual approval look like? Like it, do, do you just get like a signed piece of paper and it's time to walk and we sign contract? Yeah, there's, there's, there's typically three approvals that you're trying to hit within that contractual period that you're in. Okay. Rezoning the annexation, should that be one? That's one approval. Site plan approval is another one. And then construction draw approvals. So there are three milestones that most of these commercial transactions are trying to accomplish. Um, You know, in our area, if we're talking Raleigh, Durham, Cary, Holly Springs, that that metro, 
then just give yourself two and a half years from start to finish. Okay. So you you have to really, this isn't happening like in the next six months. This is not happening next six months. <laughs> Not in, not in those, not in those major areas. Now we get further out. We go to Coates and Dunn, kind of get further in towards the Sand Hills area. That time frame is going to shorten, but it's only going to shorten. We'll make, take a year off the process. Okay. okay. You're still but talking a year plus, no matter. That's what. exactly right. You need to be advised and aware that, that this is a lengthy process. If you want to get from that $25,000 acre basis to that $85,000, it takes that time in between those two points to make it happen. Yeah, I it's the I always call it the project management triangle, right? Like you can have good work and you can have fast work, but you do not get both. Right. <laughs> you because a lot of people will come to the table like I want this and I want it now. Like, well, you can have you can have a sale, but you're not going to find out best use unless you take some time. That's and exactly it, right. like that expectation. It's all about expectations, right? Like a landowner has to know that up front. If like if you go in with unrealistic expectations, you might get somewhere in the area that you want, but you're not necessarily going to get what's best for you. Yeah. And and so you want to be you want to be able to curtail yourself there and be patient. Well, and I think that's where national land shines is is setting the expectations up front, sitting down with a landowner from a, a conversational standpoint and just letting them know. This is what you should expect, but it also understanding if they've got higher expectations, if they're looking for a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand day one on a piece of contract, it's most likely not going to happen, right? Because there's a lot of time, money, and uncertainty from the buyer standpoint that they have to invest into your property, so they're not just going to come off the hip and give you hard cash right then and there. You've got to let them do their homework to evaluate to to ele- ele- elevate that um, price per acre. Yeah, and that's and that's it's the power dichotomy of a sale, right? It's like, well, I've got the land, I have the power, and it's like, not really. The other guy has the money. Yeah, <laughs> this so is true. It's this it's, is true. You know, it's a two sided thing. They got to be able to meet in the middle, and if they don't have that expectation up front, it's a bad transaction process. And that's one of the that's things right. too. You know, an, an agent in your shoes, right? Like a land professional you have to clear up those expectations because if you go through a bad transaction, that's just as bad as not doing business because now you have bad referral. Now there's a bad experience under your belt. You don't want that either. You don't want the developers to to view you as somebody who puts through bad transactions because it's harder to get, you know, that developer will be less likely to work with you in the future. And those things you, you mentioned relationships, that all becomes very important. So it's one of those, you know, if, if you're a landowner, and someone is not clarifying expectations like this to you, you need to be raising red flags. Like that's exactly right. What percent? If they're making big any, and I think a lot of people know this, but they tend to ignore it because they get distracted by something shiny, like a big promise. Right. Like if you're hearing big promises up front, like, oh yeah, it's a done deal. Like run. <laughs> run. Well, and and so that's a great point, Matt, because so many times I'm sitting in front of a landowner and I might be the third or fourth person coming to them with an offer. And they go, well, you know, the guy who just left here said they're going to give me, you know, six and a half million dollars from a piece. And I'm like, the market would never support it. What they're doing is they're they're giving you that shiny penny up front and enticing you with it to go under contract. And they get you tied up for that 120 day period just to find out they can't get it there. And then it all falls apart and you just wasted a lot of time. 
or or they they make the big promise and they get to come back and say something like you know you're not going to get that six million but I can get you two million and then you're already right. that's exactly right that retrading process is an old trick in the book and you know again it goes back to relationships yeah in developers who don't play that type of game to making sure that they're going to see this thing through and stick to the contract that's at hand right so. And, and that's one of those things, too, is like as a landowner, you want to be very, very careful as to who is coming to you, who you're talking to and what kind of sure. are being made. If someone's not being upfront about the expectations, like what what is involved in, in the zoning process, what is involved in in the due diligence and how long this actually takes. If somebody, you know, I, I could it is it's one of the oldest tricks in the book. I mean, this goes back thousands of years that people have been doing this with land it's not anything new. So it's something that landowners have to be careful for be, because it's easy to get taken advantage of in not just real estate, but any kind of transaction. Yeah, this is, this is exactly right. So you want to, you want to have that advocate in your court um, to be able to guide you through these processes because it's a long relationship to be had. Yeah. And so, you know, we mentioned there was three final stages. Um, does each one come with its own paperwork? Uh, for for no, the it's, it's all built into the initial contract. Okay. Um, you know, and it's going to lay it out the different terms. Now, I don't want your your listeners also to be shocked that if they get in a situation, they could see twenty three pages of contract sitting in front of them. But that's what it's doing. It's laying out all of these different processes that they have to go through, right? Um, and, and it can be overwhelming at times to look through that, but uh, but we can help them. And um, so just be prepared that uh, the contract is is just as lengthy as the process is. <laughs> and, it, and that's usually, you know, it, contracts can be daunting like that, but that usually protects all sides. You know, it's not just to save the developer. It is It does protect the landowner as well, too. And then like that's that's where to have somebody on your side that understands this stuff that can go into a contract like, nah, you don't want to do this. Don't sign exactly. it. Negotiate out of that. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So it, in the end, you might end up profiting, you know, 4X off your land, 3X, whatever, you know, you could greatly increase your profits off of your land during a sale. If you look at doing something like this, as simple as checking out the zoning first. And I mean, then you're off to Thailand in your own castle, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and, you know, the thing is, too, and, and this is going to be for another podcast for another day, but um, offsetting those capital gains. I mean, you just you just hit a home run Ooh, with the yeah. family farm and now you're sitting on 23 percent that could go to Uncle Sam. How do you avoid doing that? 1031. DSP, right. And so knowing that we have those resources that we can send and guide that landowner on how to accomplish that at the end of the day, you know, we, we offer a lot of full services to those particular people. I was going to say, yeah. That, and that's something that, you know, that's where it's very helpful to work with a professional that understands 1031s DSTs. Like let's, let's go through the scenario back, back from the start, right? Got land, got a farm, want to sell it on city outskirts. So I want to find out what it's worth. So I go through due diligence. I find out I can go commercial. Then I go through the process. It's two and a half years. What I don't want to do is end up at the finish line, making, you know, maximizing my profits and then having to give it all back with taxes. So then you can do something. If you've planned appropriately, you have a game plan in order to do a 1031 or a DST or whatever it is, 
to where it's a land swap. I can leverage what I made off of my farm by a bigger farm further out in, in you know, a rural area or or a big house or what, you know, like 1031 doesn't go to houses. But I mean, using that and leveraging it into another piece of land mm-hmm. to where I've I've maximized all my value and I've put it all to best use and then I can do the same or hand that down the generations. And, That's you right. know. I always call it Pokemon with Pokemon card trading with land. It's like, it always seems that way. Like there's a lot of land swap stuff. It's always really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well um, there, you know, there's, there's a lot of value in just providing that time to allow somebody to improve your property's value through entitlements. Um, And again, those expectations are huge. It's a timely process on, on their end, as well as it is ours, especially managing these projects. Um, but it's time well spent. Absolutely. Well, hey, Corey, um, you know, if somebody has land in, in the Raleigh area, who are they reaching out to? Where, where are they getting in contact with you? And I'll have your link in the notes as well. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Corey Bowes, I'm the manager broker uh, for the Raleigh office. Um, we're specialized and in, in focused right here on Central North Carolina, uh, but they can uh, reach me uh, by cell phone or by email at cbows at nationallandrealty.com. Awesome. I, I really appreciate your time. It's, I, it, I don't, a lot of the land stuff I'm more familiar with and commercial is, is all new to me. So like the level of knowledge you bring to the table and education that I get myself through this thing, I, I really appreciate your time here. Yeah, man. No, I had a great time and uh, appreciate all you do. We'll do it again. All right, Matt, take care. This concludes episode number 34 for the National Land Realty Podcast, discussing maximizing your land's value through rezoning with land professional Corey Bowes from Raleigh, North Carolina. You can learn more about land ownership and the buying and selling of land at nationalland.com.